Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today I'm beginning a new series on theology. And the first one I'll be taking up is theology, the study of God himself. I've talked about righteousness, justification, all those attributes of theology, but I wanna talk about the study of God himself. How do imperfect beings study a perfect God? I hope I captured your imagination. Let's go to the word of God. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. You know, I've had some questions. Why do you call it Student of the Word? Well, because I'm a Bible teacher. Actually, the best thing I enjoy is not just pastoring a church. I really enjoyed that. But the number one thing I enjoy is teaching students and I get to travel to schools, large schools, small schools, some in churches, and that's my favorite thing. If I can change the life of one person, that one person in their lifetime is going to really affect a lot of Christians because God hasn't called us just to get saved. He's called us to become disciples, and that's what I raise up as disciples. I love seeing people learn the Word of God, walk out of class going, huh, I didn't know that, or I saw things today I've never seen before. Well, that's one of the greatest compliments I can see, not that I try to teach false doctrine, but to make what is in the Word of God just simply appear. I pastored for 33 years and guess what I did? I taught that church like they were Bible students. In fact, the day I took the church, I told the congregation, uh, I'm not gonna just be your traditional pastor that preaches sermons, I'm gonna treat this as a Bible school, so welcome to the Bible school. I said, you're gonna walk out of here smarter than when you came in. And it worked. I mean, people began to come from everywhere, but then I began to even see it in the word of God. The purpose of the local church is not just to get people saved because that's the main thing we have to the entire world. It doesn't say go into all the churches and preach the gospel. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel. But what I saw in a church was the purpose of a church is to train up disciples. And that's why we have church. You know, 90, 95% of the people that attend the church are already Christians. And yes, we do give an invitation for those who have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. But on the other hand, those who do come walk out smarter and can go out and more effectively win souls to Jesus now that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the Word of God, the two major ingredients for winning a person to Jesus. So again, that's why I've turned this broadcast into is just simply calling it student of the word. And that's what you are. So welcome students, welcome to your Bible school. And if you're sitting there all by yourself, welcome all by yourself. If you're there with your husband, wife, you know, or a friend or a group of friends watching the broadcast, well, welcome to the broadcast. In fact, what I'm gonna do today is begin a series of eight on theology, talking about theology. I've got a book on theology and it's called the, you know, called Theology Simplified. But this is an addition to more. I'm gonna give you eight more of them. And so uh, I'll be teaching this for eight different lessons, eight separate lessons, and uh, you're going to be blessed by it. Today we're going to take up and start off with the doctrine of theology. In fact, when I uh, started studying this, I thought, why didn't I start my other book with just what is theology? Because I took in their redemption, justification, those types of things. So I decided I'd start this one with the doctrine of theology. What is theology? Well, theology comes from two words. Theos is the Greek word for God. Knowledge means the study of. Like we have biology, you know, and we have uh, different types of, of things we study, but it's always the study of something. And so theology is the study of God. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at here today. And possibly into tomorrow, we'll talk about it again, maybe. But uh, we're taking up again the doctrine of theology. Turn to Romans chapter 
chapter 11. We're going to take a look at verses 33 through verse 36. And while you're finding this, again, I just want to thank all of you who are faithful uh, ministers of God and watching this broadcast daily. And I have some that say, I go back and find other ones, you know, on YouTube and uh, watch them, watch the past ones and things. I'm just really hooked on them. I like people that are hooked on the word of God, all right? It's a great thing to be hooked on. But the other part of it, for those of you who take it even a step further and become supporters of the broadcast, you become partners with me. Thank you so much. Because you're more than just somebody that watches and takes notes. You're one that says, you know what? I want to be a participant in this, not just a recipient. I don't want to just take notes, walk out of here and say, thank you, Bob, and thank you, God. I want to really say thank you, Bob, and thank you, God, by contributing to it so this thing can expand and get better and more books and more publications and more things and more teachings. And this is what, again, I'm headed for too. So again, thank you. If you'd like to become a partner with me and join these other hundreds and hundreds that are partners with me, go to bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me. Let's talk about the difficulty of studying God. You know, we can study a lot of things, but to talk about studying God, it's really brought out here in Romans chapter chapter 11. And I couldn't think of anybody in the Bible that knows more about God than the Apostle Paul. But he, even he admitted as much as he knows, he doesn't know, but just a small amount. What he doesn't know is huge compared to what he does know. And understand this, you'll never get to a spot where you know it all. Oh, I've met some know-it-alls, but they find out real quick thinking they know it all. There's something they don't know. And suddenly they begin to find out there's tons of things they don't know. And even Paul, as he was writing his epistles, would write this. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall not be repaid back to him? For of him, that's from him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Once you notice this, even Paul said, God's ways are past finding out. I think far as outstripping every individual except Jesus Christ himself, the apostle Paul knew more of the word of God than anybody else and still made the statement in the book of Romans, God's judgments and his ways are past finding out. How great is God? It comes down to this. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. But how do we study God? How do finite, temporal, imperfect beings study the infinite, eternal, and perfect God? Within our human ability, we'll do this by examining some different parts of God's character. We're going to take a look at his attributes. We're going to take a look at his plans, his eternal existence. We're going to talk about his divine love. We're going to talk about his holiness. We're going to talk about his power. We're going to talk about his knowledge, his integrity, his unchangeableness, his sovereignty, and more. But by studying God's attributes, his actions and his plans, we can get a small glimpse into God's person and character. We're going to study God through his word. We're going to study God through his son, Jesus Christ. The word of God and Jesus Christ are the two major ways where we can understand God himself because all of God's attributes, his ways, his actions are recorded in the word of God and then to put it in front of us in demonstration through a human being, God sent Jesus Christ into this world who literally above Paul 
knew more than Paul did. And even Paul had to admit that. So studying Jesus will also help us to understand God. Let's talk about Jesus here. We're talking about, again, the word of God and all the things that are there. We'll be taking that up as we take a look for eight different lessons on this. But we're going to start out today just talking about if you want to understand God, then look at Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ even said so. By studying Jesus, it helps us to understand God. God is three separate persons each with different tasks, yet functioning as one united together in goals and purpose. That's why we call him one God, but we also find out that one God is made up of three persons. Even the Hebrew name for God, Elohim, is plural. Many people don't understand that. You say that and they go, huh, how can that be? How can there be more than one God? Well, there really is one God made up of three persons. Genesis chapter one and verse 26 amplifies this. When God was going to make man, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There were three of them there and all three members of the Godhead were involved in the making of man, the making of woman, all of creation around us. Again, everything that God did was operation of the three members of the Godhead. Like marriage, where the two become one, or a team where many function as one, the Godhead are three separate individuals united in a common purpose, functioning as one. All three members of the Godhead together are known as the Godhead. Godhead represents the fact there's more than one. The responsibilities of the individual members of the Godhead in creation and redemption, the two major things that God did, was all of creation around us, then the redemption of mankind. Everything else comes down to trees and flowers and grass and things like that. But again, the individual responsibilities of the members of the Godhead in creation and redemption are these three. God the Father originates the plan. Jesus Christ executes the plan and the Holy Spirit reveals the plan. Let's take a look at it again. God the Father originates the plan. Whether it's the plan for creation or the plan for redemption, God the Father came up with the plan. He originated it. But Jesus Christ is the one who executed the plan, and he's the one that came and did all of creation. All things were made by him and for him. And then when it came to redemption, Jesus Christ is the one that came to earth, spoke of God, did signs, wonders, and miracles, and then went to the cross and took the sins of all mankind. This was God who originated that plan. Jesus Christ executed the plan, and the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the plan. What do we mean by that? Well, whether it's the plan of creation or redemption, God the Father, again, created it. Jesus Christ executed it, and the Holy Spirit is the one that revealed it through the scriptures and through his personal encounters with mankind. So the Holy Spirit is the revealer of the plan. Again, God the Father originates it, Jesus Christ executes it, and the Holy Spirit reveals it. Jesus is the tangible member of the Godhead. What do I mean by that? Every time God wanted to show himself in this earth, express himself to people, he came in the person of the second member of the Godhead, Christ. He didn't take the name Jesus until he came to the earth because Jesus was his human title, because God the Father also came to this earth through Jesus Christ, and became the God-man. And by being the God-man, he represents God and man. And so Jesus Christ became our redeemer. Jesus is the tangible member, the expression of God himself. We can gain much insight into God the Father through Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 14. 
John chapter 14, verses nine and 10. And here Jesus speaking to his disciples, because what they said was, show us the Father. Show us the Father. He says, look, to see me is to see the Father. John 14, nine, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Now we often take that as what we see with our eye. The Greek word for what we see with our eye is blepo. It's where we get blips on a radar screen. Blepo means to see something tangible. My cup in front of you, you know, my iPad down here, I can see those things. I can see the TV screen in front of me. That's what I can see with my eye. But the word here is not the word blepo, it's the word harao. And we get horizon from this. It means an overall view, not a blip on a radar screen is a tiny little thing. That's blepo. But harao is where we get the word horizon. It means to see the whole entire view of something. And so here, what this word means is to perceive or to understand. And Jesus said, he who has seen me, perceived me, understood me, has perceived and understood the Father. I am in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak are from the Father and the Father who dwells in me, he does the work. Notice this, Jesus Christ came, but he came as a representative for God the Father and said to perceive me, understand me, listen to what I'm saying, get the comprehension of it, you're understanding the Father because the Father lives in me, I live in the Father, and the words I'm giving to you right now came from the Father. He gives me what I'm supposed to say. And the Father who dwells in me, he's doing all the work. So we come back to it. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about this. God created all tangible and intangible things, visible and invisible, but he did it through the second member of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, with all that under your belt, hang on for a few moments. We'll come back right after the break. Bible doctrines are easy to understand. They only seem difficult because they often come disguised as complicated or deep-sounding concepts, but their explanations are simple. In Theology Simplified, Volume 2, Bob Yandian breaks down eight more foundational doctrines that will bring strength and stability to your Christian life. Twelve messages include the Bible doctrines of advocacy, the church, dispensations, the fall of man, the study of God, the judgments, faith for salvation, and unlimited atonement. These 12 episodes from the Student of the Word broadcasts are available as audio CDs, video DVDs, or both audio and video on a USB flash drive. To order Theology Simplified Volume 2, visit our website at bobyandian.com. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without the Word of God, our lives would be unstable and without direction. There would be no hope for believers or, for that matter, the entire world. In this seven-part series, Pastor Bob Yandian emphasizes and explains the vital necessity of the Word of God in the life of every believer. Sermon titles include a more sure word of prophecy, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God's reputation, the wisdom of God's word, the merchandise of wisdom, wisdom, riches, and honor, and Jesus, our wisdom. To order Importance of the Word, go to bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. 
Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. You know, I don't talk about my website too often. I talk about products there on the website. But listen, if you want a very vast array of things that you can find and things you can teach and things you can read and understand, and especially if you're a pastor, you teach a class, a cell group, whatever, or you just want the things to enlighten yourself so that one day when you can talk intelligently to those at the office who say, oh, we don't believe in Jesus, you just have some things to share with them. And there's nothing like sharing a scripture and then just talk about that scripture from the word of God. People have the idea that that, uh, as it's said in Corinthians, the world thinks that God is just foolish. The Bible is filled with foolishness. But when they begin to understand it is the power of God through one book, one book in this earth leads people to Jesus Christ and eternal salvation. Books on religion may be interesting to describe religion, but I can tell you this, none of them will give you the plan of salvation except books that speak about the gospel itself, the word of God. So my website is filled with these types of things. Just look at them, just browse through them. I'm sure there's gonna be some things that'll, you know, key off your curiosity. And these will be books that will last throughout your lifetime. And if Jesus doesn't come, you can hand on to your children, hang on to hand it to your children's children. These books never wear out. I did have some books on my shelf that my mom and dad gave me, not Christian books, just books. And to go back and read some of the ideas they thought, I mean, you're talking about encyclopedias, things like that. Man, there's one day you have to throw it away because man, the ideas are archaic. They're old. They weren't even correct. They weren't right about the planets. They weren't right about the universe or the earth. And we've since discovered new things, so we throw them away. But you know what? The Bible can't be added to or taken away. It is perfect. And the end of the Bible even says, don't even try to add to it or take it away. So anything written about the Bible taken from scriptures are eternal. Maybe we'll have some archaic language in there, you know, back from the 40, 50 years ago and 100 years ago. But you know what? The meaning is still true. So go to bobyandian.com and go to the uh, section in there. You can study all the, all the different products we have and you'll be blessed by it. Colossians chapter one. Let's take a look at the fact that God created everything, but he did it through Jesus Christ. Again, God creates the plan. Jesus Christ executes the plan. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 17 says, he, that is Christ, is the visible image of the invisible God. You wanna see God, look at Jesus Christ. You wanna understand God, understand Jesus Christ. He came to this earth to demonstrate and to visibly show us the Father. I'm gonna read that verse again, verse 15. He, that is Christ, is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. That's through Jesus Christ. For through him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they're thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he existed before all things. He is before all things. The Greek word here means he pre-existed all things. Jesus was always here as Christ, never had a beginning, never had an end. God the Father is eternal. Jesus Christ is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. But those eternal beings built temporal things. So he existed before all things 
things and in him all things consist or the Greek says are held together. You know, I got a desk here in front of me. You know what's holding this desk together? You say, well, I mean, it's just hard as a rock, you know? So I guess, you know, that's what makes it so great. You know, no, 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 this is held together because Jesus Christ is alive. When people say, oh, Jesus really doesn't exist. Christ does not exist. I can tell you why I know. Everything still sticks together. If Jesus Christ did not exist, everything would just fall apart. The universe would fall apart because Jesus Christ, again, brought it into being through the words of the Father. God said, let there be light, and Jesus Christ executed that plan brought light and then he said let there be you know earth and let there be trees and all these other things things hard things we can see around us things we can touch and when he did that they came into being but this verse also goes on to say that Jesus Christ who's in heaven right now sitting at the right hand of the father he holds all things together everything not only was made by him but now everything is held together by him God created a perfect plan of redemption through Christ for imperfect beings to have a relationship with him so I'm say that again. God created a perfect plan, the plan of redemption, the plan of creation. Everything God made was perfect. Man perverts it and God's going to get it straightened out one day. There's going to come a day at the return of Jesus Christ. All this will be straightened out, but God created a perfect plan of redemption through Christ for imperfect beings to have a relationship with him. This is the beauty of God's plan. It has to fit a perfect God, but also fit humanity. And we as humanity are imperfect beings, but now to have a relationship with God, that is something great. So it comes back to this, God is perfect and the Godhead is perfect. Therefore, his plan is perfect. Any plan, anything less than perfect can only originate from one who is not God. If God makes it, it's perfect. So his plan for creation was perfect. His plan for redemption is perfect. His future is perfect perfect, even though he has given it to imperfect beings such as me and you. When I got saved, I didn't become perfect. My spirit became perfect through the days and weeks. My mind is becoming more perfect and my body won't become perfect until it's in a resurrection body. So it simply comes back to this. God is perfect. His plan is perfect, but he had to give it to imperfect beings, fallen beings. And yet God could do it. God is so perfect. God is so wonderful. He's so smart to actually make a plan that works with a perfect God and imperfect people. So the beneficiaries of his plan are imperfect human beings. The perfect plan of God cannot be separated from the perfect character of God, but must also relate to the depravity of mankind. Man was born into depravity and a perfect God had to relate to the depravity of man which to us seems totally impossible. But Jesus Christ was the one that comes to the rescue and says, I'll do it. I'm God, but I'll also become a man. I'll pull the two and unite the two impossibilities together. And Job saw that. Job chapter nine, take a look at verses two and three. Job was in a dilemma. And Job, you know, he was following God. One day realized something that he'd known, but just suddenly struck him. God's perfect. God's perfect, never misses it. And it irritated him. Because he was used to, you know, saying things and finding out later it was wrong. Not everything, but some things. And he began to understand this. I'm not perfect, but God is. And here I'm trying to approach him. So in Job chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, follow it with me. Job says, truly I know it is so, but how could a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. He said, God is so perfect. He says, I know that a man can be righteous with God, but how is it possible? If one person wanted to argue with God, 
you could ask a thousand questions. God would know them all, but God could ask you a thousand questions. You wouldn't know one of them. And he simply says again, if one wished to contend with God, the man could not answer God one time out of a thousand. Why? Verse 32 and verse 33 answer the question. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any mediator between us that he might lay his hands on us both. He said, God's over here. He's perfect. I'm over here. I'm imperfect. There's this gulf between us and the gulf between us is sin. I'm the one who has sinned. I sinned in Adam. It's passed on to me. I still sin from time to time. How can I cross over to God when the sin barrier is there and I can't conquer sin? On the other hand, God can't come to me because the barrier, God can have no contact with sin. How does God pass over all those sins to get to me? How do I pass over the sins and get to God? It is impossible. Then he went on to say, almost flippantly, I wish there was a mediator that could stand between us that would lay one hand on God and one hand on man. Bah, he just hit it. That's the purpose of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to the cross to unite two impossible things, a totally righteous God with a totally unrighteous human being. We come back to this again, that God is perfect, and therefore his plan is perfect. And his plan includes not only him being perfect, but also the beneficiaries of his plan as being imperfect human beings. So the issue is perfect God created a perfect plan for imperfect creatures, that's us. He did it for one unanswerable reason. He loves us. Man, that's mind blowing, isn't it? So he did it for one unanswerable reason, God loves us. In fact, God loved us before we ever even knew about him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the world he loved was a totally fallen world that he gave his only begotten son. God was willing to give the second member of the Godhead wrapped in a human body and see him go to a cross to die for the sins of the world. It took a totally perfect person suffering for our sins to remove our sins. So again, God knows we're total disasters because we're full of sin, we're full of human good deeds, we're full of sinful thinking, and when wrong, we shift the blame to other people. We don't want to even accept the blame for it when we do it. One of the biggest problems with God's plan is to get those who want to receive his plan to stop working for it. When we hear about God's plan, it blows our mind because it's all grace. It has nothing to do with us. We're the ones who sinned. We're the one who rebelled against God. And God says, listen, stop right there. It's not going to be based on you. It's going to be based on me and my love. I care for you. So I'm going to make a plan for you where you can just simply reach out and receive my salvation and receive my eternal plan for you and receive remission of sins just by receiving it. And the first thing we say is, no, I can't do that. Is there anything I can do to help? Again, one of the biggest problems with God's plan as to get those who want to receive the plan to stop working for it. We want to do something to help God and thus say we help to justify ourselves. This includes self-righteousness, giving time and money to the needy, church attendance, being a loving person. We think all this is going to help us get saved. Now understand this, God does want us to do these things, but we have to be saved and have his nature in us to accomplish these things. We can do it after we're saved to show that we're saved, but none of these things will get us saved. So again, include self-righteousness, giving time and money to the needy church attendance, being a loving person, all the things the world looks at and thinks, surely my good works will outweigh my bad works. 
when it has nothing to do with works at all, good or bad. It has everything to do with the work of God the Father creating the plan and the work of Jesus Christ who went to the cross to produce the plan. Trying to help God is arrogance. Thinking the plan of God depends on us or even needs us. God can get along fine without us and did before we or anything else was created. This is the proper place for good works. After we're saved, not to merit eternal life, they come after salvation to show the world that we have eternal life. It's God in us living out salvation through person who simply accepted him as Lord and Savior as a free gift. We are saved unto good works, Ephesians chapter two and verse 10. So one of the purposes of salvation is so God can produce good works in us that have nothing to do with us, he gets all the credit. How do I produce good works from salvation in me, which I didn't put in me, from righteousness in me, which I did not put in me? Both are gifts of God. And then through the renewed mind, where I now start to think like the word of God says and think like God does, I begin to do good works in this earth, giving all the credit to God, not to me. I just became the vessel for God to work through. Again, the verse of scripture I referred to was Ephesians 2.10, that we are saved unto good works. We're gonna get back into this the next broadcast. So have a great day. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. Join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.